Welcome to Sunday Life. Our focus is to let the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, live in us and change our hearts so that we reflect the image of God to others in our daily lives. That's what we're trying to accomplish here in Sunday Life. In the beginning, God created man in his image. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 tells us that, that in the beginning God created Adam and he said, let us make man in our own image. But humanity abandoned the image of the creator for the images of what was created. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about this in the future as I've been going through and studying and learning and changing and growing to think about what, what do I mean by that, that we were created in God's, God's image and that we gave up that image for, gave up the image of the creator for what was created. And we become what we worship. Now think about that. Do you worship money? Do you worship possessions? Do you worship drugs or alcohol? You will bear the image of the things you worship. As I said, I'm going to talk about this more in future episodes. So it's what I mean about we gave up the image of the creator for the image of those things that were created, which is exactly what Israel had done. They worshiped idols. Idols are not God. They are things that come into our lives as God, take over our lives. We, we worship those things and we become those things that we worship. But when the Son of God came, he showed us the true God. He was the image of his Father, which we're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 9, and in Hebrews 1, 3, it tells us that he was the image of the Father. And as believers in Christ, we're called to follow him and his example as image bearers and to conform to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, this is our calling as believers. Every, every one of us, that's what we are called to do, to bear the image of God's Son. Our mission in this life is to bear that image to the world so that the world will see Christ and know him and glorify God. We live as believers to reflect the image of Jesus Christ so others can see him and be saved from death by Christ. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So just as the light of Christ, he was the light of the world, shined in the world, and the world could see that light and they could glorify God 
and give the Father in heaven glory because of that light. In that same way, we're supposed to let our light, our image of Christ in us to shine into the world so that they could see that light, that image, and glorify God in heaven. This is our path in life. We live until we die. It said, life is the dash between the dates of our birth and our death. We, we all hear that, that number, born such and such a date, dash, died such and such a, a date. Life is that dash between those two dates. But true life is really the space after that date that we die. That is the greater length, right? That's a longer time than that dash, that blank space after the date we die. But what is death? Do we truly know and understand what death is? Is death when our physical body stops functioning? Or is death something more profound that we've overlooked and we've misunderstood? What is death really? We have to think about that. What is death really? Do we really know what it is or do we just think we do? This is what we're going to look at in this episode as we begin a six-part study into death, the resurrection, hell, and heaven. First, in this first part, we'll look at what humanity thinks death is. To understand mankind's ideas about death, I'm going to start with the Jewish concept of death. Since we're studying the Bible, let's look at what the Jews conceive death to be. And we'll look at that in Job chapter 10, verses 18 through 22. And we're all familiar with the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. Satan went before God. God said, what do you think of my servant Job? Satan says, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. You protect him. So God allowed Satan to torment Job in, in a way, and he took down his hedge of protection with Job, let Job experience all of the, the calamities of life. And during that time, Job says in this verse to God, why did you bring me out of the womb? I should have died and never have been seen. I wish I had never existed, meaning he had never been seen or never been known in the world. But I had been carried from the womb to the grave. As are my days, not few. Stop it. It's telling God, stop it. Leave me alone so that I can smile a little before I go to the land of darkness and gloom, never to return. It is a land of blackness, like the deepest darkness, gloomy and chaotic, where even the light is like the darkness. Job, in saying this is the Jewish concept, that death was going to the grave and darkness. Even the light in that darkness was darkness. There was nothing else there. The psalmist writes in Psalm 88, 11, and 12, Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, 
your faithfulness in abandon, meaning destruction? Will your wonders be known in the darkness of your righteousness in the land of oblivion? So the Jews conceived of death, the grave, as darkness. There was nothing else, just darkness. Now, just to get a brief understanding of the history, and I'll be very brief. I know history is not all of our favorite subjects, but just to catch everybody up, Jacob and his sons, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, lived about 2000 BC. And then Moses led the Exodus after Jacob and his sons had gone to Egypt and they were there for 400 plus years. Moses led them out of Egypt around 1500 BC. Then from that time, Joshua led Israel into the promised land. Moses wasn't allowed to take Israel into the promised land because he had disobeyed God when God had told him to bring water from a rock. So God, so Moses didn't allow Moses to enter into the promised land. So Joshua had to bring them into the promised land. And then the land was divided among the 12 sons of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. And they were loosely joined together by Levi's sons, which became the Levitical priesthood. They, the Levitical priests were spread throughout all of the 12 tribes in the promised land. Now, whenever they were attacked after coming into the promised land by other nations outside, a judge would be raised up by God to lead in military victories. Judges like Gideon, Deborah, Samson, they would lead the people against these nations who were attacking them for the first 400 plus years being in the promised land. Then the, the people said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. They went to Samuel and asked Samuel to give them a king. So the first king was Saul. And he was selected to be king around 1050 BC. And after Saul came David, the second king, around 1000 BC. And after David, around 950 BC, Solomon became king. And Solomon, who built the first temple, when Solomon died, his son took over from him. But at that point, 10 of the tribes didn't no longer wanted to be ruled by Solomon's son. They didn't want to be taxed as heavily as they were taxed. So they split and they formed the 10 northern tribes, which was Israel. And then two tribes stayed together, Judah and Benjamin, and they became the two tribes of Judah. This was the southern kingdom. Now, around 722 BC, the northern tribes of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians, taken away captive. Those are what's known as the 10 lost tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritans were supposedly those tribes that had been intermarried and intermixed. They were not the original 10 tribes, but they considered themselves the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Those were the ones that called they were called Samaritans. Now, in 586, 
Judah, the two southern tribes, were conquered by Babylon. And they were taken captive into Babylon. And this is where we have the story of Daniel in that captivity of Babylon, and then later them coming back to the land. Now, in understanding the concepts of death, we, we've seen all these changes and all these nations that are surrounding Israel, surrounding Judah, the captivities, the conquerings, the wars that go on, the influences that go on. So to understand the concepts of death and how they affected Israel, we need to look at the influential Middle Eastern concepts about death. And here I have uh, this picture of the statue that was in Daniel, because it really shows us these are the nations that influenced Israel. The first view that we have is the Babylonian view of death. And Babylon existed from about 1800 BC to 540 BC. So in Babylon, I mean, even though Israel existed before that, they weren't a nation, they were just tribes and families of Jacob, 2000 BC. But the the Babylonians had their culture that did influence the Middle East, their culture of religion, their culture of what death was. And they, they influenced the Middle East until 540 when the Medes and the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire, conquered Babylon. Now to Babylon, they believed that people had a soul and when they died, they went to a place called Kur, and which the Greeks later called Hades. And the leader they had, Kur, had a ruler that ruled it. And there the soul would face judgment, which would determine the fate of the soul in the afterlife. Now, there was always a possibility of immortality for the soul, but that really was for the gods and not for humans. So even though there was a possibility, humans would never attain to that immortality. So humans therefore would die twice because they couldn't accomplish that immortality. Then there was the Medo-Persian empire that existed between 600 and 330. The Medes and the Persians were the ones that conquered Babylon. And it was the Medes and the Persians that released the Jews back to the land. Now, their major influence in the Middle East was their religion that was called Zoroasterism. Now, unlike Babylon, Zoroasterism was monotheistic. Now, remember, Jacob, Abraham, they were monotheistic. Abraham was the first monotheistic uh, family in the Middle East, and then Moses' religion was also brought monotheism. There was only one God. The Lord our God is one. Zoroasterism also was monotheistic. Now, it had a kind of a dualistic cosmic view. There was good and evil. There was light and darkness. With the good, there was a good God, and with the evil, there was a bad God. There was an afterlife when a person died. They faced judgment for their thoughts, their words, the things that they did in their life. And this judgment took place at the final 
restoration of the world. At the end, there would be a there would be a time that was the end of the world, and at that time, the dead would be raised up, and they would be judged, and would be determined the fate of their soul. They in Zoroastrianism, there was a heaven where the soul would live in happiness and light forever. There was a purgatory where the soul would undergo purification, and there was a hell where the soul would be in darkness and suffering forever. So kind of we can see some similarities in Zoroasterism. Then there was the influence of Plato. Now Plato lived, and I have talked about Plato's influence in the past. And Plato lived between 430 and 350 BC. And his view of death, he taught the dualism of the body and the soul. The soul preexisted in the realm of forms or of spirits, and it possessed a knowledge. It preexisted there, and then it came into the world. And when it entered the body, we learned the things that we learned. We were, according to Plato, remembering things that the soul knew in its prior existence. And when the soul dies, the soul goes to a place of judgment, and it's either rewarded or punished according to the life that it lived in the body. In Plato's teaching, philosophers were the ones who were best suited to teach mankind how to live this life and prepare the soul for its eternal journey. Then there was the Hellenistic view. And we're going through, you can see we're going through this statue. There was Babylon, the head, with the Medes and the Persians that conquered Babylon. Then the Hellenists, the Greeks, Alexander the Great, that conquered the Medes and the Persians. And here we have a lot of philosophy. We have the Epicureans that believe that eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's nothing else. There's the Stoics that believe there's nothing that you can control in life. Why worry about it? Just live your life. There's, don't worry about anything because you can't control it anyway. There was Pyros, since there's nothing that could be known. You need We can't know anything for sure. Therefore, be skeptical about everything. Judge everything. Question everything in life. There was Diogenes that there's nothing that's of any value in society in life. So just, just live your life. There's no value coming from this life because there's nothing after this life. So overall, the Hellenistic view of death was it wasn't something that should be occupied, that we should think about, because it doesn't matter. If there is anything after we die, well, you'll find out then. If there isn't anything, then why worry about it? That was the Hellenistic view. And we see that in the Sadducees, in the Jewish uh, religion, because they also did not believe in any kind of an afterlife. Then there was the post-captivity Jewish view of death. And this was after they came from their captivity in Babylon, came back to the land. They had their view, their concept of the afterlife became more pronounced. Remember, in the beginning, we go back, we read, Job, all they believed was that there was just darkness. But as they come back and they rebuild the temple, and we can see that they started taking on a different form, different ideas about the afterlife. We see this in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, 
and this is what's called the intertestamental periods we the apocryphal books that are that are written that aren't in the protestant bible but are in the catholic bible books like first and second maccabees estrus uh, in those books we see this kind of we can see things about purgatory and afterlife and here in daniel we read daniel writing this is daniel chapter 12 and this talks about a resurrection now remember in Job, there was no resurrection. It was just darkness and gloom. Daniel writes here, At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since the nations came into being until that time. We've talked about this. This was the judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem, coming upon uh, the Jews. We saw this in, in Daniel um, the 70 weeks of Daniel. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Verse 2, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we see this change in the Jewish concept of death from darkness and oblivion to sleep and awakening, going through all these changes, through all these influences, through all these nations that affected them, following their, their precepts, following their leaders. And now we see going from darkness to this place that there's a time when a person dies, they sleep. And then they're awakened in a resurrection. Now, with the rest of the rest of, with the rest of the nations, we see all these different views of death. So, what is death really? Right? All these people, all these Gentiles and Jews, all these nations—they have all these concepts of death. Is death darkness and nothing? Is it a place where we sleep until some awake and others remain asleep? Is it a place where we make amends for our transgressions. Or is death nothing at all? Just, just an end. There's nothing else there. And that's where we're going to leave this, because this is just part one of this. In, in the next episode, we're going to look at what death is according to God, according to Scripture, what God says death is, rather than what man says death is, or what religions think death is. And I think you'll be very surprised by the description that God gives us from the Bible about what death really is. I'll give you something to think about until the next episode regarding death. If we look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden to work, to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, my question is, did Adam and Eve die the day they ate from the tree? Think about that. God said, in the day you, will eat, you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
Now, when Eve was tempted by the serpent, the serpent asked, can you eat from any tree? And Eve says, we can eat from any. Did God tell you that not to eat of the trees of the garden? And Eve said, no, he said, we can eat of any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat because in that day we'll die. Satan said, you will not, you'll certainly not die. Now, who is right? Did Adam and Eve die the day they ate from the tree? Think about that. So I hope this study has encouraged your faith and your confidence in Christ. If you feel that this study can help others, please share it. Share this video with others. I thank you for being here, and I pray that God's grace will be with you and keep you always. Until our next episode, God bless.